Hello, my name is Kyle Leon Henderson. And I'm Father Ian Elliot Davis, Canon of the Diocese of Los Angeles, Dean of the Incarnation Deanery, and Rector of St. Thomas the Apostle Hollywood. But you can call me Father Davis or Canon Davis. Welcome to Theologically Speaking. Hello, welcome to Theologically Speaking, the St. Thomas the Apostle Hollywood webcast. My name is Father Ian Elliot Davis. I'm the rector of St. Thomas the Apostle Hollywood, and my full title is the very Reverend Canon Ian Elliot Davis, rector of St. Thomas the Apostle Hollywood, Dean of the Incarnation Deanery in the Diocese of Los Angeles. And I'm with Kyle Leon Henderson. Together, we're going to start a conversation about theology, what it means on a general scale, and what it means in the Episcopal Church, what it means to the Episcopal Church, and what it means to be an Anglo-Catholic in the Episcopal Church. St. Thomas, this church is Anglo-Catholic by tradition. But first, let's get into exactly who we are. My vital statistics are 34, 28, 34. No. <laughs> Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm okay. I'm excited to be here. I'm very This has been something stop. we've been thinking about for a long time. Yeah. So, in this first episode, I just wanted to give us... A chance to get to know each other, or give our listeners a chance to get to know us yes. and why we're here. So, what year were you born in, Kyle? Nineteen eighty-seven. Nineteen eighty-seven. So you're thirty-three, Correct. which is the messianic age. That's that's very ominous when you it know is. how it all ends. But well, it ends with <laughs> resurrection and, exactly. and ascension going to heaven. So true, you're true. Okay that's there. why we're here. <laughs> Um, but before we start, sorry, um, yes. I was just going to say you um, you kind of brushed over your title, so I wanted to give everybody your full title: oh, uh, yes. the Very Reverend Canon Ian Elliot Davis, Rector of Saint Thomas the Apostle, Hollywood, Dean of the Incarnation Deanery. So that, that's correct. That that's is why right. I'm here to lead the conversation, and you're here to bring all the substance. Oh of dear. <laughs> Sub substance is a very loaded word in theology. Substantia, being of one substance with the Father, we say in the Creed, being of the same stuff, the same essence, the same material, if you like. Uh, but that's a very specialized use of the word, so let's not start there. <laughs> I was about to say that might be episode six, seven? Sixteen. <laughs> um, so we ha it's funny that we just sort of came to you and me doing this podcast because we both started very far away from the Episcopal Church. Mm -hmm. So I think it would be an, a good idea for us to go and tell sort of who we are um, but I think I'll start because I don't want to follow you because everybody heard your title. So there's a lot more there right. in your story. So I'll just go pretty quickly. There's a lot more in your story as well, <laughs> I know. It's true. There is a lot in my story. Um, 
But I was born and raised in Alabama, as people can hear. I have an accent, as do you. I was born in North Dakota. Uh huh. <laughs> right under. <laughs> no, in right under. Uh, what is it? Mount Rushmore <laughs> in South Wales. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was born in rural Alabama in a town called Bug Tussle. Well, actually, I wasn't born there. I was born Bug in Birmingham because there are no hospitals in Bug Tussle. So, um, yeah, there's no, there's not even streetlights in Bug Tussle. So, uh, <laughs> are there bugs tussling in it's, Bug Tussle? The 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 name, the story of how the name came about is it's different depending on who you ask. Um, the story that I heard was that at the general store, men would go and sit, you know, as old men do. Mm-hmm. They go and congregate at a, at a diner or at an old store and, mm-hmm. you know, do what old men do, just talk. Like I do. Yes. Right, exactly. <laughs> like you and Jimmy Frazier. So, <laughs> um, but, and they had a big slab of cement where they would sit. And the bugs would come out onto the cement. And then as the day would heat up, they would start, their feet would get hot and they would start running into each other. And the old men said, they look oh. like they're tussling. And so they said, we're going to go sit at the bug tussle. They named that spot right. bug tussle. And then someone bought the store and they renamed the store bug tussle. And then the area just kind of colloquially became known as bug tussle. And so now, I mean, but there's no town. It's, it's an unincorporated rural community. But what's the population? I would say about a thousand. Wow. Yeah, probably a thousand, fifteen hundred, right. maybe. Um, because you can't find statistics on it because it's not a town. It's, right. Uh, but there is statistics on like five towns, five little areas so right. that I found, and it's it's right. about eight thousand with all mm-hmm. six towns. So. Right. I just kind of I'm guessing, and then the name I don't know. It might be that might not be how the name got got its got right. got there, but um. Yeah, that's that's Bug what I've heard. Tussle. So that's what I'm sticking to. I was born in a place called Mercer Tidville. Mercer Tidville. Yes, Mercer Tidville. Tidville. Mercer is the Welsh word for martyr, and Tidville is in fact a saint. So she was a martyr, martyr Tidville. The Irish came over in the year, oh I don't know, five hundred and ninety, and chopped the top of her head off. Um, well, there you go. But we possibly don't want to broadcast that. I don't know. <laughs> well, she's a martyr. We knew. She we knew. We martyr, knew it was going to yes. have a sad ending for her. Yes. But um, yeah, I was raised in a in Church of Christ, which is right. very conservative, um, somewhat like Baptist Church, but mm-hmm. no musical instruments. Um, and yeah, just and like we do at the Episcopal Church, we took communion every Sunday and. Mm-hmm. And um, well, which only on Sunday, where you know, during Holy right. Week, you could take communion seven, eight times a day <laughs> in <gosh>. our church, <laughs> right? So, right. but um, and you know, the irony is in the Episcopal Church in Holy Week, Good Friday is the one day that we do not mm. have Mass. Good Friday, we don't have Mass. We have Holy Communion. Mm-hmm. We receive from the reserved sacrament, but we don't actually celebrate a Mass on Good Friday. I don't know that but I realize that. Yeah. So that's yeah. interesting. Um, could you do like a, a brief explanation as to why? It's to mark out Good Friday as the specific day on which um, Christ died on the cross. And of course, the 
the actual Last Supper didn't take place on Good Friday. It took place on Maundy Thursday, on the evening mm -hmm. before Good Friday. So because Christ dies on the cross, it's the one day that we do not celebrate because that's the verb that we use for Mass mm -hmm. or the Eucharist or Holy Communion or the Lord's Supper is we celebrate the Lord's Supper or we celebrate mm -hmm. Mass. And well, the person who is consecrating the mass is the celebrant is the celebrant so. yes and of course all of us in a way are celebrants of the mm -hmm. mass the whole congregation but there is one presiding celebrant who is yeah. normally a priest but can be a bishop mm. yeah um and you you weren't raised in the uh episcopal church either no. or the, well the church of england that's that's correct um I was actually raised as uh, a nonconformist, as we're called in Britain, which means that we are uh, descended from the original kind of Puritans, those first guys who at the Reformation were on the more radical end, uh, further over than the Lutherans oh, really? from the Roman Catholic uh, Church. Do you know enough about what we call in America non-denominational to, to make the assessment of is it sort of like non-denominational here? Um, I know a little bit about non-denominational and from what I understand non-denominational would claim to have no real prior history. It's a rediscovery right. if you like of the New Testament of mm -hmm. the the gospel tradition as as they would probably articulate it, which is not the way I would articulate it, yeah. but non-denominational would be a house church, maybe very free form, mm -hmm. no uh, hymn books, no formal liturgy. Where I come from, they have a lot of like rock band almost. Oh, really? Led. Right. Yeah. Like drums and, you know, a guitars praise and the praise. Yeah. A praise band. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, that's kind of what I, my experience of non-denominational would be. Right. And so pretty right. much along the same vein. But um, so what what um, what took you from that all the way here to the Episcopal Church? Well, I'd been a America. Baptist. I'd actually um, got involved with the Baptist Church when I was a teenager because they had the best youth club. Um, there were literally four or five hundred uh uh, young people in the youth club that met every Friday night mm -hmm. and every Sunday night. And it was a very um, interesting experience because it was about speakers. It wasn't about playing darts or billiards or anything mm -hmm. like that or table tennis. It was very much about having a religious speaker who came and would talk to us about any any subject that they wanted to. Uh, it was very strict. It was very uh, conservative in its, in every way, conservative politically, um, in terms of churchmanship, mm -hmm. in terms of social engagement. It was extremely conservative. And, and when you say that, you mean sort of our conventional thoughts of what conservative political stuff would be. They don't, they're not for same-sex marriage, they're not for oh. the right to an abortion or anything right. like that. Or divorce the, would be terrible in their eyes. Yes, divorce, so. every every kind of 
box that you could imagine ticking mm-hmm. um, against cigarette smoking, against alcohol, against same-sex marriage, against termination of pregnancies under any circumstances, mm-hmm. against this, that, and the other. And then, of course, in the early 1980s, um, HIV and AIDS began to rear its ugly head. And so there was married to that very conservative worldview was a very fearful atmosphere as well for anyone who was growing up not quite fitting those very straight-jacketed kinds of labels that uh, that we've just been using. Uh, if one was exploring one's sexuality, uh, and uh, uh, as I was a a teenager with raging hormones um, and in terms of uh, discovering my own sexual orientation I found it extremely difficult uh, because on a Sunday I would hear from the pulpit you know these people are going to burn in hell Mm -hmm. they're wicked and evil and what's more, with the advent of HIV and AIDS, that is God's judgment. Right. And I was on, born on gay people during the eighties, right. the back half of the eighties, right. when that was already the reality for everything. I think by the time oh. I was born, we sort of had some type of clue as to what was going on. Uh-huh. If not, a, not a full understanding like we have today in the twenty first century. But, um, but yeah, it was already solidified. That was a mm. gay disease. Mm. That was. That it was these people are going to hell, and mm-hmm. that's that's what I was taught. So we we had probably pretty similar, mm. pretty similar messages given to us. It's frightening to to do that. Yeah, I mean when you when you grow up in a you know you grow up and you know who you are, and the right. the religion that you subscribe to tells you well that's wrong, mm-hmm. that's hard, and that that yes. seems to be what you yeah you had messages sent to you in that way. Very much, very much, and. Um, all through my teenage years, through high school, um, I was fortunate fortunate enough to have some very, very good teachers who mm-hmm. very gently coaxed questions and got me asking questions about various topics and subjects and areas of inquiry. And one of them uh, was theology. And uh, so I had a a remarkable classics teacher mm-hmm. who uh, is very eminent in his field, um, got a triple starred first in classics at Oxford, oh, which wow. is kind of unheard of. It's like having a summa, but in all three of the major areas that um, that he was studying, Greek and Latin and uh, oh my goodness. Greek and Roman history. Uh, so he's... Genius, a, at, at the a walking genius, yeah. and encyclopedic knowledge and uh, memory. Well, with that, did you? Because I know that my story was, I had nowhere to go. Like I did not have any way to reconcile. Mm. So I just walked away from church for right. about ten years. I didn't really think about it. I always, I always loved God, mm-hmm. and I always knew that I wanted a relationship with God, but I just didn't have any way to reconcile mm. who I knew myself to be with 
of theology that allowed me to right. express myself naturally. Did you have... Did, oh, go ahead. May, may I ask, did you have that kind of born-again experience or that saved experience? I did, yeah. I mean, yeah. there was... I mean, because it was September 23rd, not, uh, 2001. I was baptized by full submersion wow. of water. Um, yeah. I remember because, if you know the date, September 23rd, 2001 was... <gasps> Yeah. 12 days after yes, 9-11. So, and, and that scared me. I mean, and I don't think I gave my life to Christ out of fear of just the world around me. I think it, it really let me know, like, oh, I need to give my life to Christ. Mm-hmm. I need to make that commitment that I have been taught that I need to make right now. And even in every denomination or church, they, you know, you have to give your life to Christ and be devoted in that way. So that's what I did. But yeah, it was, it was, that was the moment that was, it wasn't a constant in, in walking with Christ. That was the moment that my walk started as a Christian, because that's what I was taught that to be a Christian, you have to be baptized by full submersion Mm -hmm. and give your life to Christ. So that, that was a very prominent moment for me. And you know, they say there's no such thing as coincidence. I, I believe Perfectly that too. true because at that very time, September 2001, I was applying for the post of Rector of St. Thomas the Apostle really? Hollywood. Oh my gosh, that's... And I was interviewed in October 2001. In fact, the pet blessing, the animal blessing on the first Sunday of October 2001 was the first time I ever walked into this building. So you just been baptized. Mm-hmm. 9-11 had just happened, and I was on the first flight out of London to JFK when they opened up the airspace. Yeah, you probably won one of the first flights yeah. after 9-11. Yeah. So yeah. that's, that's I didn't, I never know that. No. I knew, I that, really, I knew I, that was around the time, because I, I think 2002 was when you started. I started in February. But yeah, yes. the, the discernment process of getting you here had That's to have right. started earlier. So oh, yes. our our stories coincide. So you were a wee little kid. I was kid. 14. I was 14. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's how I started. How did you, like what, what started you toward, because I guess you started with the Church of England, right? Well, actually, I started with the church in Wales because I'm a Welshman. I'm not English. Right. Okay. So, yeah. Is there a difference? Yes, okay. there is. Um, the Episcopal Church in the United States mm-hmm. is like the Anglican Church of Canada or the Anglican Church of South Africa or the Episcopal Church in Scotland. Episcopal and Anglican are virtually interchangeable. Mm-hmm. It's just in a couple of places. We're because known as... It's the Anglican Communion. Right, exactly. Yeah. We're all members of the Anglican Communion, which means that we all look to Canterbury, the Archbishop of Canterbury, mm-hmm. as a spiritual leader, not as the head of the church, but as a spiritual right. leader. And so I was in the University of Wales as an undergraduate, in 1982 and I started reading theology as an undergraduate and um, in those days there was a young chaplain called Barry Morgan. Um, He was the university chaplain where I was, uh, an undergraduate, and he was running classes and I was very interested so I started going to the classes and they were 
confirmation classes and I ended up being confirmed as an Anglican in the church in Wales. Mm, There are four ancient dioceses in the church in Wales. And when I say ancient, I mean literally. Mm -hmm. They date back to the 4th, 5th century. So they're very, very ancient. Because 2026, I think, will be our 250th year. Of America, so we don't have ancient history. We don't have any ancient history, but you actually have ancient history. There is ancient history. We don't have any ancient... um, When Jimmy Frazier was born is ancient history. (laughs) That's kind of Neolithic or something like that. One more reference to Jimmy Frazier, we're going to have to get him on the show. You've gone bright red. (laughs) Because Jimmy Frazier, for anyone listening, is the person that I ride to church with every day. Oh, dear. And he has a very special relationship with all of our parishioners. Everybody he has does. a Jimmy Frazier story. So. Oh, yes. <laughs> and how. But, yes. Um, and see, and that's the thing. The reason I keep referencing the Church of England is because I went to, when I was confirmed, in the Episcopal Church in 2017. Right. And so, and it was very right to, which we'll get into later in this podcast, um, you know, series, but it was very right to meaning it was a little more modern, a little more, um, contemporary language. And so it was very American rather than, you know, Anglican leaning, uh, with its language. And so I was taught, which this is true, um, that the church of England was in the colonies. We won the Revolutionary War. They had to change the name. Yes. Basically, yes, exactly. that's how the church... But then after the name changed to the Episcopal Church, we are no longer affiliated with the Church of England. So we started developing our own practices that did not coincide 100% with the Church of England. So that's why I kept using the Church of England when referencing you. Oh, I see. Whereas right, that's not right. incredibly accurate because you were in... In the, the church, church in Wales. Wales. Church in, in Wales. Wales. Church in Wales. Because the church in Wales is not the state church, mm. whereas the church of England is the state church. And the queen is the head of. The queen is the supreme governor. She's... Uh, they don't say head of the church. They oh. say she's the supreme governor of the Church of England. But well, that is more ostentatious, anyway, than just saying the head of something. You're you the supreme governor. I, she's incredibly down to earth, actually, <laughs> and she's incredibly self-effacing and humble. She's I don't know that I believe that. 100%. Not in the. <laughs> she's not in the least bit pretentious. Honestly, now. Well, I, you would be the you'd be, you'd be more of an expert on that than I would because. <laughs> I okay. I'm not going to say any more. <laughs> Because Harry and Meghan might start coming to church, of course. Are they really? Well, they're living in Malibu. They're here. Yeah, they're here. Yeah. So how do we get that campaign going? Jimmy Frazier. Okay, there we are. He's got to come on the podcast. He has yeah. homework. Um, so how? So you had this mentor. Right, yes. And um, how did it come about from that moment with him to you? Right. So... Thinking, this classics teacher spotted me as a little 11, I was just 11 years of age, and he could see that my, the little cogs in my mind were turning over whenever he asked searching questions in class. So in fact, he started um, giving me lessons in Greek, believe it or not, and we started studying the fourth gospel in Greek, St. John's Gospel, um, and uh, I've got the textbooks here somewhere. 
tucked away. Um, and um, every Thursday lunchtime, we'd meet and we'd talk about theology and religion and politics and history and the way we remember. And that's how it, it blossomed. Mm -hmm. And I remember him saying to me, and he knew that I was in a very strict Baptist church. I remember him saying to me, you, you have a very narrow understanding mm -hmm. of what we're talking about. Uh, loosen things up. He, he would always encourage me to ask more questions. And that's, for me, I think, one of the signs of really good theology. Theology is not the answer to all your questions. It's the question to all of your answers. So while I admire the people who stand down at Grauman's Chinese with a big placard saying, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that's a profoundly ambiguous statement, by the way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is not the answer to all of my questions, mm -hmm. but rather, he is the question to all of my answers, all of my prejudices, the way I think about the world, the way I think about myself. Jesus is always going to challenge me in that area. Mm -hmm. So it's about questions. And that, I, I don't know, I mean, maybe it's just because I, I have studied a lot in the last four years uh, and everything, but just that statement gives me such comfort in, in so many ways, yes. being an Episcopalian. So. Well, uh, because we, we are a, a church, we are a, a fellowship, we do not check our brains at the door. Yeah. We bring everything that we have, everything that we are, all mm -hmm. that we know, and we don't separate science off from religion. That's really what intrigued me on the onset about the Episcopal Church. I had a friend who I lived with in college. She was Episcopalian, and I'd go to church with her sometimes. Mm. And just I, I had seen that you get to bring all of your intellect and all of your soul and spirit with you to the Episcopal Church, and I loved it. And but I never questions and doubts, yeah, and and, and certainties. And we've taught, we've things. been taught in this church that. Doubt is good. Mm -hmm. Doubt mm -hmm. leads you to question, and question leads you to the answers. Mm -hmm. um, or more questions. Or Which is, yeah, you find it is always <laughs> more questions than answers, but that's the nature of spirituality. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't go to the church until I'd made a friend who was... Uh, he was in the church, and then he um, sought ordination. He went to the general assembly... Not, General, General Theological, Theological Seminary yeah. in New York. And um, convoluted story, I'd had an opportunity to sublet his apartment for a summer at the General Seminary. Um, and so I kind of, the, the Episcopal Church kept coming back, kept yeah. coming back, just yeah. knocking on the, you know, the we'll peripheral doors. We'll haunt you forever. Right. <laughs> well, then he got a job a few years later in New York, and I just went to go hear him mm -hmm. preach, and I never, I never left the church. Wow. Most Sundays I'd been in church ever since then. So Gosh. they had announced that, you know, we're having a formation program, our, mm -hmm. you know, catechumen. It starts in October. And it was like very soon, like within a couple of weeks. And I just started going pretty recently. And I was like, but that, I think this is where I want to be. Mm. So I quickly got into the found formation program 
at that church. And then Easter 2017, I was confirmed. So, and then we just, my partner and I decided to move here and I had a short list of churches I'd Googled and (laughs) this was on it. (laughs) St. Thomas, the apostle Hollywood. And I came to visit and again, Jimmy Frazier and Byron Adams, they were, they were two of the first people I talked to. And then, Jeffrey Clark, who is now Jeffrey Clark Tosca, and yes. Ed Tosca sat across the aisle from me and Byron that first Sunday, yeah. and it was like coming home to family. Yeah. So yeah. And two years later, I'm on the vestry. So wow. I'm a vestry member. Yeah. So that's that's sort of my story. Let's hear how you sort of got the notion to become ordained, and then right, all that. Right. Well, if you ask my parents, they'll tell you that. From the very youngest age, and I mean literally, I was three or four years of age, um, we'd go to church and I would always say, that's, I'm, that's, I want to do that. That's what I want to do. You wanted to be the Liza Minnelli in the church. <laughs> Up at the front, doing I all wanted. the motions. I wanted the big <laughs> costume. I wanted the full Walter Mercado, uh-huh. the full nine yards, the whole thing. And if everybody could only see your Walter Mercado den now. My Walter Mercado <laughs> home with silks hanging. Silks and, and gilded bronze. And, and 17th century prints mm-hmm. and things like yeah. that. Um, no, uh, it was actually quite... It was. It was just very, very natural. Mm-hmm. It just felt absolutely right. I could see what was going on in church, and we went, because my father served in the Royal Air Force, we lived on lots and lots of different Air Force bases. Mm-hmm. So we we were kind of non-denominational for a long time. Mm-hmm. We'd go to any church that was nearby, regardless of their... Um, denomination or their allegiance. So sometimes it was a Presbyterian church. Sometimes it might be a Methodist church. Occasionally it was an Anglican church, Mm -hmm. but not very often. Um, But then I settled in the Baptist church when I was a teenager. Then as an undergraduate, as I say, at university, reading theology, um, because in Britain, most state universities teach theology. Mm-hmm. We, we do have seminaries, um, but there's not this kind of a dual kind of uh, league as there is in the United mm-hmm. States. All or virtually all theology is taught in virtually all state universities mm-hmm. and private universities. Whereas here with the Episcopal Church, I think, what, five or six seminaries are really the main, yes, main spaces a, for that? About ten. Oh, but, okay. But there they're are all kinds of courses. And now, of course, with mm-hmm. COVID-19, there are distance learning courses mm-hmm. springing up all over the place where people can do master's degrees in divinity or ministerial studies or pastoral studies or doctor of ministry, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, so what, uh, how old were you, were you when you entered into seminary? Uh, or, well, I guess you say you didn't enter into seminary. No, You're... I went to university, first of all, mm-hmm. to read theology as an undergraduate at the age of 17. Okay. So I went to university at 17, and I graduated. I got my first degree at the age of 20, 21, uh, in 1984 or 85. Um, 
And then I took one year out and I worked for social services with people with learning difficulties and physical disabilities mm. and did one year. And then I went to Cambridge to do postgraduate theology and seminary. And I did that for a couple of years. And that's when I got to know um, somebody by the name of Rowan Williams, who went on. He was at that time the Lady Margaret Professor of Divinity in the University of Oxford. And of course, those of us who are from Cambridge never say Oxford. We always call it the other place <laughs> um, and they're just as snobbish about Cambridge mm -hmm. as we Absolutely. are about Oxford they say they won't say Cambridge they mm -hmm. say the other university <laughs> um, which resonates with me because I've lived in both New York City and Los Angeles right. so there's the, the rivalry I went I'm from Alabama explain so to me football. the rivalry between LA and New York City because to me New York City is cold in the winter bloody boiling in the summer mm -hmm. and Look at this weather yeah. here. This is gorgeous here in California. Absolutely. Who would want to live I in New think, York? I think New York takes itself a little seriously, rightfully so. You know, they've got um, Broadway, the United Nations. It's the biggest city in the in the country. So, sure. I mean, and L.A. is a little laid back. Um, I think people are back. jealous of L.A. a little bit sometimes. Very. Because we're all laid back. And that's and my partner, Ethan, and I moved here. We never look back. We're like, we like a lot of relaxing lifestyle. That's my that's my personal hot take. That's not <laughs> don't don't act like that's you know the authority on it because that's just me. But a yeah. very good friend of mine said to me, um, "You land at the airport in L.A. and and what's the first thing you see?" And he says that it's what typifies Southern California. You see. In massive great letters, lax. And just everything is <laughs> yeah, lax. That's true. Nothing is formal. Nothing mm -hmm. is kind of cut yeah. and dried. Everything is lax. And I think I've said this too, and some people can agree or disagree with me. I felt that New York put everything in your face at all times. Mm -hmm. You know, like I worked at Times Square, so Hamilton came out. Everybody said, Hamilton's the show to see. So because everybody said it, that was the show to see. Or this is the hottest new musician, or what? It was just always right there. You didn't have to search right. it. You didn't have to look for it. You go outside, look around, and here's what you're gonna like because they told you so. Whereas in LA, we have the, you know Philharmonic, we have religion, we have art, but you have to go for it. You have to go to You've it. You've got to You've got search to, it out. You have the yes. space here to really resonate on what it is that you love. Right. Because there's art here. Everybody says, oh, L.A. has no culture. It has oh. culture. You're just going to have to get off your tush and go find it and go do it and go be a part of it. It's not yes. going to be everywhere at all times yeah. and what others told you to like. So yeah. that's my. Yes, I like that. That's that's, that's how I feel about it. Yeah. And it's freedom. So, yes. And there is diversity here a, mm -hmm. and a diversity. I don't know that many other places can match, really. But what is interesting is that. I feel like the community as a whole, and when I say community, I mean everybody living there. Mm -hmm. New York had a lot more respect for religion than oh, really? for Christianity than they do here in L.A. Right. I think. Oh, for the Christian religion. Mm -hmm. Right. I yeah. think so. That's my experience. Well, there's but. an immense Hispanic population here in California, of mm -hmm. course, where um, this does sound a bit sort of... 
prejudicial, but I, I don't mean it in a prejudiced way, but a great many people of the Latina, Latino mm -hmm. um, community are either evangelical Christians or Roman Catholics, mm -hmm. and we fall slap bang in the middle in between right. the two extremes mm -hmm. as Episcopalians. So we, we've we had a, the former Bishop of Mexico City was a bishop in this diocese oh, really? in Los Angeles, Sergio Carranza. Oh, wow. Yes. He was an so, assistant bishop here. How? What was your first job in the church? My very, very first job in the church was as, as a curate. And we don't have many curates in the Episcopal and Church. What does curate mean? Curate's like a trainee priest, somebody who's just been ordained, still wearing mm. their, their... What do you have on cars when somebody's a learner? Do you have red L's? Or? No, we don't oh, have anything like that. You don't? I don't think. I think you oh, just, we do in Britain. You, you see, see how they drive and get out of their way. Oh, <laughs> and they don't have like a marker on the top of the Some car. Some cars do have student driver that says, student I've seen driver, that. Yes. Yeah, so. well, it's, it's like student driver mm -hmm. being a curate. And I was a curate of a parish in a place called Port Talbot. Mm -hmm. which is where Anthony Hopkins is from oh. and Richard Burton. And so I knew Richard Burton's family. Oh, In really? fact, his brother, Verdon, was a very good friend of mine. He's dead now, Verdon Jenkins. Did you Jenkins. ever meet Liz? I never met Elizabeth Taylor ever. But <laughs> the family love Elizabeth Taylor. Mm -hmm. They love her. Well, yeah. loved her so much they married her twice, huh? Right. <laughs> was it was at least twice, wasn't it? I, I assume. Burton and I'd have Taylor to I'd married. have to study up. I'm at least <laughs> twice. It may have been a few more times than that. I don't. At know. least a few more liaisons. <laughs> oh, oh, definitely. Um, Puerto yeah. Vallarta. They put that on the map. Did you? Were you a rector? Is this the first church you were a rector of? This is the first parish that I have been the parish priest or the rector. The rector. Rector is simply the Latin word that means, believe it or not, ruler. What's um, fitting? <laughs> it, it we we have almost dictatorial powers, I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, though we're benign <laughs> dictators, right? Exactly. I have to say. <laughs> I, I, I will say that the listening audience misses so much of your jokes because you wear the the tail signs of a joke on your face <laughs> the rest is just oh, a straight oh, statement right, of yes. i'm a dictator <laughs> right yes sorry um it, it does sound a little bit sort of kind of fascist doesn't it i'm not a fat i'm as left-wing as you can get i'm gonna ask you another question so you can stop digging on that one <laughs> <laughs> so how many churches did you have um in, in my first in welsh and well in wales, in, in wales. <laughs> in welsh. you can't speak whale can you i can't have you seen finding nemo <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> you're gonna have to edit some of this because it just won't make any sense <laughs> to the poor general public send it straight <laughs> Um, you can't speak well. I can't speak well. Oh, no, you can't. Do you remember me telling you that I put the bloopers at the end of the episode? <laughs> oh, sorry. My first parish had two churches. My second parish in Wales had five churches. Oh, wow. So we went round each of them every Sunday. Mm -hmm. And it was 
quite a, a lot of work to do. But we had about, you know, three or four priests in my second mm-hmm. parish. Then my third parish, which was in central London, was a place called All Saints Margaret Street, which oh, yeah. is the equivalent of St. Mary the Virgin Times Square. I've in been New York to St. Mary's. You've been to St. Mary's. Smoky Mary's. Talking to the rector <laughs> just a couple of days ago. Father oh, really? Stephen Girth, yes. I've met him. He would He's, not remember it because... Yes, he would. He'd remember you. I don't you. think of course so. He would. <laughs> it, was, it was many years ago and one visit, so oh. I, I would, uh, you know... He's a good man. That'd be very impressive. He's a very good man. Um, well, and then in 2002, you came here. I came to St. Thomas in 2002. Which this February. is a relatively small parish compared to the ones you've been in. Most American parishes only have one church, Mm -hmm. which is very interesting because in Britain, I have friends who are rectors or vicars in Mm -hmm. Britain, and they've got seven or eight churches in their parish. Mm. And because there are so few clergy to go around. Trinity Wall Street in New York has several campuses. Wow. So... Yes, they have a retreat center in Connecticut, but but they are the wealthiest church. That's, in yeah, the I was going to say there's money. They? There's money in that because so. they own most of Wall Street, right? Yes, and so. rent out all. The and stuff. they own, I think it's St. Paul's, the uh, church right across right. from Times Square, that's or right. from World Trade Center. Yes, that's so. right. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so that's basically me and you in a nutshell. You and me in a nutshell. Like that's how we came here. I'm a, in bugs. We're both. I'm, I'm a. <laughs> in comedy, we call that a callback. Very good, Rector. <laughs> I don't know what a callback is. When you make reference to the joke made in the beginning oh, of the show. Yes. Oh. So you're, we're we're bleeding into each other's lives now. You you've got a two drink minimum at your stand up show, and <laughs> I'm seeking the truth. I've uh, not got a clue what you're talking about now. <laughs> but this first episode, I just wanted to. Talk about us and talk about wh- what brought us to this moment, and that's yes. it. Here we are. You're you're you are someone who knows a great deal about theology, and I'm a seeker, and we're here to bring a conversation to the masses and, and to ask the questions that they would like to ask. Right? There's gonna very soon. There's gonna be an opportunity for the listeners of the show to directly ask you questions. Poor things. So. <laughs> Poor people. <laughs> well, mm. on that note, I think that's it. That's us. Goodbye introduction from you, to and it's a goodbye from him, me. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> you have to have the last word. <laughs> I'll I'll give you the last word. Whatever you say next will end the show. Bless you. Theologically Speaking is a production of Church Nerds Media. Executive producers of the show are Jeffrey Clark Tosca, Father Ian Elliott Davis, and Kyle Leon Henderson. Associate producer is Ed Tosca. Theologically Speaking is mixed and edited by Kyle Leon Henderson. For more information about St. Thomas the Apostle Hollywood, visit our website at www.stthomashollywood.org. Follow us on Instagram at stthomashollywood or visit our Facebook page. If you love this show, don't forget to tell your friends, rate, and review our show. It helps even more people find us. And finally, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.